Hey everyone, my name is George Davis, and I want to thank you again for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. A couple of months ago, I was, I was in a turkey hill, I was actually towards the back of the store, and while I, while I was in the store, an argument broke out right at the front door between two individuals, um, and the argument was all about wearing masks. It was loud, it was brief, um, it was over quickly, and it was one of those moments where everyone in the store, there were maybe half a dozen of us, just stopped, kind of looked around, and once it was over, we all kind of looked at each other like, what just happened? Now, that, that scene was a reminder to me that, particularly over this last year and a half, all that we've gone through, that just below the surface you know, are these powerful emotions. It was a reminder of how stressful, frustrating, really the experiences of this last year have been. And even if you haven't been part of an outburst at a convenience store, my guess is I think all of us would acknowledge that at some point, particularly since the beginning of last year, we've at times felt, you know, we felt fear, some of us, as all of this started. We felt frustration. We didn't like the way decisions were made, decisions that had an impact on our lives. At times, uh, we've been angry, maybe angry at pe- with people we disagreed with over, over either the COVID stuff or some of the other stuff going on. We felt disappointment. We felt stress because our lives got more complicated. These, these, these realities have all been present for us over the last year and a half. Well, with that in mind, this morning we're continuing this series that uh, we've entitled Live Well. We're really taking this month to discuss what it, what it looks, to li- looks like to live well from a biblical perspective. What does it look like to live well relationally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually? And I think as, we, you know, as we're coming out of things, as we're going through this summer, this, this really is a good time to take inventory personally just to see where we're at. And as we talk about these topics during this month, um, I would just want to encourage you each week to, to really wrestle with two questions. And the first is, you know, particularly over this last year and a half, have I, have I developed bad habits that I need to lose? And then the second is, are there good habits that, that I need to develop? So each week, I, I, I want to challenge you to do some self-diagnosis here as we talk about these different dimensions of living well. Now this morning, today, we're going to talk about living well emotionally. So as, as we talk about this, I just, again, want you to wrestle with these questions. Have I, have I picked up some bad habits over the last year and a half? And are there good habits that I need to develop? In preparing for this series, I interacted with a group of mental health professionals in our church, and you know, I asked them, you know, in your experience, what are some what are some negative habits, habits you might describe as emotional habits uh, that we've picked up over the last year and a half that really may not be good for us? And here, here were some of their observations of, of really negative emotional habits that we may have developed during this season. One, ex- excessive media consumption. Um, another, using food and alcohol really as a coping mechanism. Interestingly, uh, we actually sent out a wellness survey to our church uh, two months ago, and, and part of the feedback we got was for some people, th- this really has happened. Food, food, alcohol have become ways in which we really try to cope with this. 
And uh, so those have really been unhealthy patterns that have developed. Another unhealthy pattern, pornography. Failure to practice gratitude. Or how about this, a negative outlook that has clouded my perspective so that it, it just feels like everything that I'm perceiving, I'm perceiving in a negative way. So these are some of the things that our mental health professionals mentioned in terms of negative emotional patterns we may have gotten into over the last year and a half. And, and to that list, I, I, I want to add one other, just one other thing. And that is this. I think, I think for us, a, an unhealthy emotional habit is this. It's, it's denying my emotions or not paying attention to our emotions. And here's where I think some of us, particularly those of us maybe that kind of grew up in Christian circles, we grew up in church, here's where some of us can get in trouble. Because we may have grown up in church settings that in essence told us, you know what, we operate out of facts. We don't operate out of feelings. And and the message given to us, either directly or indirectly, may have been something like this. You just need to grow up spiritually. You, you don't need to pay attention to your emotions. You don't need to worry about your emotions. Your emotions can't be trusted. And, and so, you know what? If, if, you, if you get angry, don't, don't pay attention to that. Just know that's wrong, and, and don't be angry, and move on. Tragically, for some of us, I think that's maybe the kinds of environments we, we grew up in. And, and what is lost, what is lost in that environment, I think is the recognition that, you know, God has created us, he's designed us so that we're not simply brains on a stick. We are emotional beings. This is, this is an important dimension of who we are. And, and part of living well biblically is living well emotionally. I think for me... Um, I really started gaining a deeper appreciation for this as a doctoral student because in, as a doctoral student, I spent a lot of time kind of exploring, studying the relationship between the, you know, the early Christian leader, whom we know as Paul the Apostle, and the church that he established in the ancient city of Corinth. And, of course, in the Bible, we have First and Second Corinthians, letters that he wrote to that church. And I have to admit, I think at one point, I always thought of Paul, you know, Paul was this unstoppable take charge leader, right? I mean, Paul was the guy who said, I can do all things through Christ, right? And, and I, I always kind of envisioned this guy as this fearless individual living out his calling, living out his ministry, living out his vocation. Yet, yet the more I looked at these letters that he wrote, the more I saw an emotional texture to his writing that I'd really never noticed before. And, and particularly in the autobiographical sections of these letters, you know, I saw, I saw themes like stress and, and anxiety, things that, that we don't necessarily associate with being a, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So today, um, I want us to look at two passages from the Corinthian letters. And I think um, together... Uh, these are passages that, that really give us insight on what it looks like to live well emotionally. Both of these are passages where Paul talks about his own life. And the first passage I want to take you to is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, hard copy, mobile device, I encourage you to join me there. As you're doing that, let me, let me just give you a little bit of background. 
on really the Corinthian correspondence. Um, I think it's important to note that Corinth was really a cosmopolitan city, an influential city in the ancient world. It's a city that the Apostle Paul visited on his missionary travels. Uh, we see, for instance, in Acts chapter 18, he stayed here for a year and a half, teaching and, and really establishing a group, a community of Christ followers, a church. And while his ministry was effective, uh, I think from the very beginning, from the very beginning, there were complications uh, in, in his relationship with the Corinthian church. And uh, I'll, I'll just mention two. I think part of the complexity was a cultural dynamic. You see, even, even as today, you know, we have celebrities, we have social influence or influencers on social media. And even as we have those kinds of influential people today, in Paul's day, you had influencers who were traveling teachers, teachers who would come into places like Corinth and they would impress crowds with their rhetorical skills and their speaking abilities. And I think from the very beginning, there were some people in Corinth even people in the Corinthian church that, that measured Paul against the standard of these influential traveling teachers. And when they compared him to that standard, he just, he didn't measure up. Um, against those standards, he wasn't particularly impressive. And this, this, this kind of expectation becomes a complication in their relationship. Furthermore, uh, the, the relationship isn't simply complicated by that cultural dynamic. Furthermore, it becomes apparent by the end of 2 Corinthians that there have been certain false teachers that seem to have in some ways come into the church. They're now influencing the church. And among other things, they are critics of Paul. They're, 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 they're the individuals who really point out he's not measuring up. And mockingly, I think Paul refers to these people as the super apostles, people who think they have it all together, and people who also think Paul doesn't. So those are some of the complications that are an ongoing part of Paul's relationship with these early followers of Christ and, and in Corinth. So it's, it's a complicated situation. It's a stressful situation. And not surprisingly, then, in both letters, there are parts of the letters where Paul is actually explaining himself. He's defending himself in light of these views that are circulating among the church. And so this now brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is talking about his own ministry. And he writes this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, as he talks about kind of his own approach to life, his own life experience, his own ministry, notice these powerful contrasts that are found in 2 Corinthians 4. Um, you can chart them this way. He says, I'm, you know what? I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Arguably, um, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderfully constructed here, and, it, and, it, and the, the pairs become more intense as you move through this list so that, you know, you get to the last two, persecuted, struck down. I think these are really references to some physical hardships that Paul experienced. And he describes these more fully later in the book. You see this in chapter 11 of uh, 2 
Corinthians. He talks about the fact that he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked. So, so in a physical sense, he really has been persecuted, and physically he has been struck down. But notice, even before you get to those physical dimensions of what he's gone through, I think he's talking about the internal dimensions of what he's gone through. Notice where he starts. He said, I'm hard-pressed, but not crushed. That phrase translated hard-pressed really comes from a word group. Um, And what it is describing is this. It is describing the internal pressure that we can feel due to external circumstances. It's describing internal pressure due to external circumstances. In other words, Paul is saying, I've been stressed. Now, just just let that sink in for a moment, because I think some of us, this may sound extreme, but I think some of us have, have kind of grown up in Christian circles where the idea was, you know what, if you're really a faithful Christian, stuff in life shouldn't get to you, right? Stuff shouldn't bother you. But wait, here's, here's this, you know, famous Christian leader who wrote so much of the New Testament, and he's talking about experiences generating <laughs> heavy emotions, weighty emotions, being stressed and then you get to the next line and and the idea of perplexed here is is really wrestling with doubts and confusion really at times even about what's next so notice this here's Paul saying you know what and and I think he's talking about his relationship with with the church at Corinth as well as other stuff he's gone through and he says you know what I have felt (laughs) in my gut I felt the weight of that you know, it's like he's saying, you know, at times there's been that, ah, oh, that just churning stomach. At times there's just been that internal reality of all that I'm going through. I felt the weight of it. That's what he's saying. And I think we need to hear that because if, if over the last year at times you found yourself, you know, moments really frustrated, really angry, for instance, really angry with people that you know because you disagreed about something and it was like they're, they just wouldn't agree with you they couldn't see your view and you just get angry in that or maybe just you felt really tired at moments or or just a profound lack of energy and perhaps even as you've wrestled with those weighty emotions you felt guilty well Christians shouldn't go through this yet I think we have to take Paul seriously here (laughs) and I I can really hear him saying to you you know what you've gone through COVID man I, I went through some of the same stuff in my relationship with the Corinthian church I felt that, the weight of that internally. Yet, yet, remember what he says, I am hard-pressed but not crushed. The term he used here that is translated crushed in the NIV is a term that is typically used in spatial context. Uh, I think you can actually translate it this way. I think you could translate this phrase this way. I am hard-pressed, but I am not boxed in. That's what he's getting at. I have felt the weight of this crazy situation at the core of who I am. I have felt the weight of this emotionally, Paul says, but I have not allowed those emotions to take me to an unhealthy place. I have not allowed myself to become boxed in. Now, when I ask you, um, you know, have you developed (laughs) 
perhaps some bad habits emotionally over the last year, year and a half, what I'm really asking is, is this. Are there ways you have allowed yourself to be boxed in? For instance, maybe, maybe you've been boxed in by unhealthy coping patterns like food, right? I mean, under stress, you kind of eat more, and then maybe over time, even during COVID, you gained weight, and that becomes more frustrating, which maybe only fuels the stress, and it becomes this negative pattern. Maybe you've, you've had the unhealthy pattern of really uh, abusing alcohol or spending too much time behind a screen. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've been boxed in by just kind of stuffing stuff in and just every now and then it spews out like, like those two guys at Turkey Hill. For me, I think a warning sign can be, a, a warning sign of maybe I'm being boxed in is, is procrastination, right? That, that's one way I can get boxed in, right? With the weight or stress, it's just like a, it, it, it just causes me to lock up at times and, and maybe... Maybe you do the same thing, right? In, in heavy situations, emotionally charged situations, you become immobilized by the weight of it all, the weightiness of what you're going. Maybe in the midst of these situations, you kind of become boxed in because you just lose energy, you lose motivation, because it, it really seems like, you know what, there, there's no good option in front of you. So you feel boxed in. So just, just kind of think about this for a moment. Through all that we've gone through, are there ways in which are there ways in which you've allowed yourself just to be boxed in? And again, hear, hear what Paul is saying. You know what? I've been hard pressed. I've I felt the weight. I think he's saying, look, just like what you've gone through, I felt the weight. I mean, the core of who I am. I felt the stress. But I haven't been boxed in. So that leads to this question. Why, why didn't this happen to Paul, right? I mean, why, I mean how, how was he able to say, you know what, I'm hard-pressed, I'm stressed, but, but I didn't allow the reality of what I was carrying to lead me to a place where I'm just boxed in, where I'm stuck in unhealthy patterns or not coping well or denying my emotions. I, I never allowed myself to become boxed in. How is he able to say that? Well, to kind of help us think through that, I, I want now to turn to an earlier uh, autobiographical section in the Corinthian correspondence. So let's go from 2 Corinthians 4 to 1 Corinthians 4. It's an earlier discussion of his ministry, kind of earlier in his relationship with his church. And, and yet, even as he writes what I'm going to show you here, I think he's aware, he's aware of, of some of the criticism of his ministry. You know, Paul, you don't measure up. He's aware of the way that's circulating in the Corinthian church, and, and this is part of what he writes in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, I, I think we have to be careful about how we read this uh, because at first glance, it may seem, right, that Paul sounds obnoxious, right? It may seem like, well, you know what? I don't, I don't really care what you think. No, 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 I don't care what you think. But, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I think here's what he is saying. Paul is saying, you know what? The ultimate verdict of my life will not be rendered by you 
my critics. It won't be rendered by what other people think of me. Furthermore, the ultimate verdict on my life will not be rendered by what I think of myself. Ultimately, the ultimate verdict of my life will be rendered by God and it will be based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and what it has looked like for me to live as part of that story. Not surprisingly then, as he, he says earlier in the book, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So notice, notice what, what Paul is doing. Notice what he's saying here, right? He's in the midst of a complicated situation, a stressful situation, an emotionally charged situation. There's lots of criticism in the air. There's tension, there's disagreement. And what Paul is really telling us here is this. He's saying, you know what? I live my life before God, spiritually, emotionally. I live my life as part of this bigger story. And ultimately, I think what he is saying is this. In light of the good news of Christ, in light of the fact that I'm now in union with Christ, I'm now related to Christ, I live in freedom. You see, I'm not, he says, I'm, I'm not going to be imprisoned by what other people say. I'm, I'm not going to be imprisoned by whether I get their approval or not. And that's not a kind of a condescending, snarky attitude. It's just a recognition that my ultimate identity is now grounded in Christ. Furthermore, I'm not going to be imprisoned by my own inner critic because I think at times, for some of us, the worst critic we have is the critic that lives inside our head. I mean, that can be the source of the harshest criticism of all. But Paul is saying, you know what? I now, I now live in the freedom that comes from being united with Christ, this freedom that results from following him. And I think it's in this context, in light of this bigger story that, that Paul pursues his life spiritually and emotionally. And I think as we put these two passages together, really to see Paul's approach to life, I think in thinking about living well emotionally, one of the things we learn is this. Uh, don't deny your emotions. Instead, reframe them. Don't deny your emotion. I mean, it's clear, particularly as we read 2 Corinthians, Paul doesn't deny his emotions. His emotions are coming through in the texture of what he is writing. He doesn't deny his emotions, but, but what he does is he processes them in light of this bigger story. He reframes them in light of his new identity, his participation in what God is doing through the work of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's in reframing those emotions and understanding them, processing them in light of this bigger story that Paul can say, you know what? Yes, I am stressed. I am feeling it at the core of who I am, but I'm not boxed in. Now, I think in, in understanding Paul's example, let's, let's just take a couple of minutes to unpack that, right? Because what Paul is showing us is that through his relationship with Christ, he's got this freedom where he doesn't have to deny his emotions, right? He can't, he's not pretending they're not there, but he is, he's reframing them in light of the gospel. And, and so let's, let's unpack this just with a couple of observations. And the first is this. In this freedom, we can examine our emotions before God. In this freedom, we can examine our emotions before God. Along those lines, I appreciate this quote from Dan Allender and uh, Trimper Longman in a book called The Cry of the Soul. They write this. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. 
and neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. Remember, as we've already seen, I think Paul, Paul is honest about describing and acknowledging his emotions. Uh, but he does so within the framework of the ongoing work of the gospel. And I think when we understand our relationship with God as part of that bigger story, I think ultimately we are invited to acknowledge our emotions before God, right? Even as we pray about certain circumstances, to, to kind of acknowledge how we are responding to those circumstances emotionally, to bring that to God and to invite him to be at work in, in our situation, but also invite him to be in work in, in helping us understand ourselves and how we are responding. Uh, for instance, I think you see this in different places in the Psalms. Psalm 55, for instance, David says, my heart is in anguish within me. Even as he's praying about a situation, he's also bringing before God how he is feeling in that situation. And you see, in acknowledging our emotions before God, I think we invite him to be at work in their midst. God, here's this situation, and, and, and also, here's, man, here's how this is weighing me down. Here's, here's what this situation is doing to me internally. Here's how I'm feeling this. So, Father, even as I'm praying about the situation, I also help me understand why I'm feeling this way or responding this way. And just, just invite God to be at work so that th- this can actually be a moment that, that serves to provide opportunities to deepen our relationship with God. Steve Cuss is an author who has written, I think, eloquently about chronic anxiety. And he he observes this, walking by faith is the lifelong habit of trusting God's story over the story we tell ourselves. I thought this is a powerful line, right? Walking in faith is the lifelong habit of trusting God's story over the story that we tell ourselves. Because sometimes, you know, in weighty situations, when there's weighty emotion, weighty anxiety, part of what's going in is I'm getting... going on is this I'm getting stuck in a false story about myself under under pressure I can get stuck in false narratives you know I'm not worthy God really doesn't love me I'm stuck in situations of shame from my past and so I think in bringing our emotions before God we're we're inviting him to to help us understand help us process help us learn through that situation for instance, I think for some of us at times when we, when we bring our fear and anxiety before God, we may learn that underneath it is, you know, it's a desire for control or a desire for approval. And God can actually be at work in that situation to say, you know what, in light of my work through Christ's death, you don't need control. You can trust me. Or in light of my work through Christ's death, you, you don't need their approval because you are now defined by Christ's work and his righteousness. So uh, the reality is, I think, um, the freedom of the gospel enables us to really examine our emotions before God. Thinking about this, I'll just add this comment. I think um, in examining our emotions before God at times, it's beneficial to do this with a trusted friend or a counselor, and just just know as your church family, we can help connect you with someone who could walk that journey with you. Furthermore, in this freedom, not only can we examine our emotions before God, I think this this freedom also enables us to, to just embrace our limits. 
Remember, let's go back to Paul's situation for a moment. Remember, part of the part of the criticism made against Paul was this: You know what, Paul? We at Corinth, we'd really like a super apostle. And dude, you, you just don't measure up uh, against that standard. You're really not that impressive. Your abilities and skills—they're just not that overwhelming. Well, remember what he said. I mean, how does Paul respond to that kind of accusation? Do you remember what he said? We have this treasures in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. <laughs> he uses an image, right, of just an everyday pot. And, and for those receiving this letter, for people in the ancient world, one of the realities of everyday life experience dealing with clay pots was they, <laughs> they're not invincible. They break, as you can tell by this picture. In fact, I still remember working on an archaeological dig in Israel as a teenager, and anyone who's done that knows that you come across a lot of broken pottery as you dig in sites in the ancient world. That was just part of the experience. And I think what Paul is doing, among other things, with his imagery is this. He's, he's just acknowledging and embracing his own limitations. He's saying, look, <laughs> you know what? Here's how God has created me. He's, here's how God has equipped me. Am I as impressive and a commanding uh, uh, presence as other people? No, not necessarily. But God uses a clay pot like me to show that the ultimate power is the power of the gospel. It's not in my speaking ability. So I think Paul kind of receives and embraces his own limitations. And can I suggest to you, I think sometimes we box ourselves in emotionally because we feel like we have to live behind a false self, right? I have to live behind the false self that can do it all. I have to live behind a false self that has it all together. I have to live behind the false self of the perfect family or the perfect, fa- or perfect parent. I have to live behind a false self that is invincible, invulnerable. But see, the, the message of the gospel is different. It moves us in a different direction. It gives us the freedom to embrace our limits. Finally, I would say this. In this freedom, I think we can examine our emotions before God. We can embrace our limits, and and we can be grateful. This freedom that, that Paul experiences of living as part of the bigger story, I think empowers him, enables him to be grateful. Uh, that's how he lived well emotionally. He lived as, you know, he, he said, I, I live my life as part of this bigger story, and it's in this bigger story that, that I can actually acknowledge and deal with my emotions. It's this bigger story that can kind of give me freedom to bring my emotions before God. It's this bigger story that gives me the freedom to embrace limits. It's this bigger story that empowers me to be grateful in, in even tough situations. So, I don't have to lose heart. And I think that that description was also a challenge he's giving to you and me. Don't lose heart. Don't allow yourself in the weightiness of some of what you're going through to be boxed in. Don't get stuck in unhealthy ways of kind of coping with hard stuff or, or dealing with your emotions. Don't deny them. Refrain them in light of this bigger story. Now, along those lines, let me just kind of leave you with one practical challenge, and that is this. For some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, maybe there, there's kind of a, there's some 
kind of big issue right now in your life that kind of commands your attention or your focus, your emotional energy. Maybe it's a decision in front of you. It's a relationship. It's, uh, you know, someone in your family and you're kind of concerned or that relationship has become strained. There's something kind of that maybe is a bit heavy on your heart. And in taking kind of what we have talked about and, and, and applying it, can I encourage you, first of all, to, to pray about that situation? But secondly, don't simply pray about it. Do, do, what, <laughs> do what we saw David do. Bring, bring your emotions to God. As you pray about this, if, you know, God, I'm praying about the situation, praying for you to be at work, but, but here's, here's how I'm dealing with it. And can you be at work in, in my life? So let's pray together. Gracious God, as, as we've been talking about what it looks like to live well emotionally, I pray that we'd be just willing to acknowledge perhaps uh, some negative habits that we've developed even over this last year and a half, ways that perhaps we have been boxed in emotionally and, and perhaps gotten stuck. But along that line, I also pray that we would see that the gospel, the, the bigger story of what you're doing through Christ, gives us freedom to live differently. And I pray that we would be open to that. I pray that we could truly understand that we don't have to deny our, our emotions, but, but we can reframe them in light of the bigger story, and that just changes everything. So may that truth sink in in tangible ways in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thanks for joining us today. And let me just challenge you with the truth that through the good news of Jesus Christ, we can now have the freedom where we don't have to deny our emotions. Instead, we can reframe them. Amen.